0: I'll look at somebody's store and there'll be all these boxes in the middle of the selling floor. And I'm like, why are they there? And they're like, well, because, you know, I don't really have that many customers coming in. But the customers you do have coming in, see, they look like they're walking into your back room. So why do I want to go to your store when I can go to the next store down the line and not have to see all these boxes and be inconvenienced by you having a warehouse in the middle of what I'm trying to do?
1: That was retail merchandising and fashion expert Ann Cecil speaking about one aspect of retail sales that some businesses are going to need to improve in the future. Becoming more customer-focused, global retail trends, opportunities, and the future, and how you might capitalize on those will again be our focus on this episode, episode number 88 of Looking Forward. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Well, hello, Looking Forward listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Today on Looking Forward, we're again going to focus on the retail sector of the economy. In part one of this two-part series, Episode number 87, we explored how retailing has evolved over many decades, right up until the present time. We learned about how retailing might differ to some degree in various parts of the world and about one emerging and growing trend in retail marketing. And we also looked at what impact COVID-19 has had on the retail sector. In part two, we're going to take a further look at COVID's impact on retail sales, We'll also explore why some businesses have succeeded in the retail market, while others have not. We'll peer into the future of retail sales to see what that might look like, and we'll hear about some of the opportunities that may create for you, our Looking Forward listeners. Finally, we'll get some excellent guidance on how we can become better, savvier shoppers. To help us with all this, we've again brought on our great guest, Ann Cecil. With 40 years of professional retail merchandising experience, plus over 30 years as an adult educator, Anne Cecil is your ideal merchandising maven. Specializing in visual merchandising, Anne shares the strategies, tactics, and practices that retailers use to change a browser into a customer. She has recently extended her Ono Made in the 191 consultancy programs into an online visual merchandising coaching platform, the VM Club, designed to educate independent retailers on how to use this important retail tool. One other related question, Ann, about COVID. Who is winning in retail during COVID? Are there certain brands that are winning? Well, brands being sold by retailers. Are there retail chains that are winning? Are there certain independent operators, in your opinion, that are winning in the COVID game? It sounds almost like an oxymoron winning in the COVID game, but you know what I mean, at least in terms of business. They're actually doing okay, whereas a lot of businesses aren't making it. So, from your vantage point, who's doing it right? Okay, well,
0: first and foremost, this goes across the entire retail strata. And I'm going to say that this is global, even though I don't necessarily. have a number of facts, but here's what I know. I know that any retailer or retail organization that was willing to see that they had to make changes, make them quickly. So those that were willing to adapt and were resilient enough to adapt are doing better than the ones that did not. Let me also just say that pre-COVID, there were a bunch of retailers that were not doing well before COVID, and they tended to be the people who were not willing to adapt to change and were not resilient. Mm. Now, one very interesting thing, and I'm not sure if this is true in other countries, but it's just recently something that I was looking at. Before COVID, our off price big box retailers, so this would be TJ Maxx, Marshall's, Home Goods were doing really well. In fact, in 2019, that was the best strata of retail to be in. They were showing great growth. Post-COVID, it is not them. And here's why. It makes perfect sense. Those stores generally bought products from vendors And it was product that they couldn't sell for a number of reasons. Maybe they had made too many of them, you know, out of season, odd lots, whatever. Because the supply chain problem is so big right now, there is not that excess in stock to go to those stores. Ah. Now, those stores all say that they're okay because they too were very, very smart. When they saw what was happening with COVID, they quickly went out to secure more product. So they were ahead of the crew, but the mm-hmm. supply chain may affect them and some of the assortments they can have this year. So that's one thing. A store that has done a brand in America that has done tremendously well, Target. Target has done tremendously well because... It too embraced what was going on. It was open during the pandemic because it was one of those stores that was we could go to, right? It has hard and soft lines plus groceries available. And they very quickly increased, I believe their salary for their frontline workers. So they got them in there and they have really done a great job in resolving problems. So they are also funny enough in terms of this supply chain stuff going on. They have now, I don't know if everybody in our, maybe I'll just back up, just tell a brief thing. Our audience may not know this, but one of the biggest problems was that containers were on ships that were getting stuck in ports. And by the time they got to the port and got unloaded, it left a problem of not having enough empty containers back in the manufacturing countries where we were trying to get stuff out. So Target bought their own shipping containers. Oh. When it got bad, they just invested in their own shipping containers. Now this oh. is interesting, and I'm very interested in this because they are not by far not the only ones who have done this. So, but I want to see how this is going to play out as we move forward in logistics, because And I know we'll talk about this with opportunities, but you know, as with everything, and I think this is a great way to talk about it, particularly for your show, those retailers that found opportunities within the pandemic and pursued them are going forward and they're going to be strong. Those people who saw this as an inconvenience or a problem too big for them to solve are likely the ones who will weed themselves out of the system.
1: Wow. Sounds a lot like life in general, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. You can either see something as being a challenge that you can't overcome or don't want to overcome, or perhaps presenting you with a challenge that is also an opportunity, as the Chinese might say, right? Yes. Now, you said the secret word, looking forward, is in part called that because we like to look into the future. And I'm wondering... As you look into the future, and if you think about what things in the near term, we'll say, we'll limit this to the 20s, that's not even easy to do. What changes or trends do you see going forward in terms of the consumer, the retailer, who's in the game, who's not in the game? What are you seeing down the road a little bit? So
0: because I've talked about logistics, I want to talk about this first because I think that this is such an important thing because I know when you ask me these questions, you're definitely asking me about where our job's going to be and where might investment be. So I think this supply chain and the logistics issue and how we're starting to address this globally and also nationally is something to keep an eye on. If you want a job and you have any interest in logistics, dig in, get that job because that's going to be fantastic. There's some really interesting stuff going on in how we're moving the clogs at ports on both sides of our country that I think are going to become long-term trends. So for example, we have some ports that can take really big ships. We made these big container ships because we thought they'd be efficient, but they can only go into certain ports. So if there's a clog at that port, now what do we do? You all might remember how we couldn't get anything through the Panama Canal because one of those big container ships got sanded. You yes. know, so bigger is not always better. This is the point. <laughs> yes. Yeah. However, one of the things they've been doing in Los Angeles is that they've been sending smaller ships from ports up the coast to offload from larger anchored container ships. They're bringing them up to smaller ports where they can process and unload the containers. Now the problem is they don't have enough trucks and we don't have enough truckers to take those containers ah. to move them. So this is one of the things I think is really interesting because this is a system that we have to readjust. And as we are readjusting these things, this is where I think there will be tremendous opportunity for jobs and investment. So that is logistics and the supply chain. The other thing that I think is going to be very important is remember that I was saying that, you know, now the retailer has to take on all these other functions in terms of broadcasting. And these are a whole bunch of other skills that retail will need in all different sectors. So that's another opportunity for jobs and also for investment, and perhaps even for entrepreneurship in terms of you could become a company that's really good at those things and retailer will outsource those things to you. There are those businesses, but I think those businesses now need to get bigger and in terms of what they offer or maybe come together. So people who like the photographers and the videographers and the talent maybe will come together and they'll build a bigger sort of business where they can service the retailers. And I think that also one of the things that's really super important in terms of trends with the customer is that you must, if you are a retailer, be 100% customer driven. And everybody says, well, aren't they customer driven anyway? And I would tell you, of course not, because I'll talk to a company and they'll tell me, this is how I arrange my floor. right? And I'll say to them, well, your customer doesn't really shop that way. And they say, no, but this is the easiest way for me to do it. Oh, okay. Right? I mean, that's just an example, right? Yeah. And I want you just to think about that in terms of being fair to the retailer. If you all of a sudden, if a part of what you have to do on your sales floor now is have your staff pick and pack merchandise to be picked up or to be sent, we arrange things in a warehouse like Amazon quite differently than we do on a retail sales floor in a yeah. boutique. But now that boutique has to do both things. So this is where it's got to the all retailers have to remain customer focused, even though it's easy to say, well, I'm going to have, I need to warehouse it because that's how it works better for me. Yeah, I'll look at somebody's store and there'll be all these boxes in the middle of the selling floor. And I'm like, why are they there? And they're like, well, because, you know, I don't really have that many customers coming in. But the customers you do have coming in see they look like they're walking into your back room. So, why do I want to go to your store when I can go to the next store down the line and not have to see all these boxes and be inconvenienced by you having a warehouse in the middle of what I'm trying to do?
1: Exactly.
0: Understanding how to really maintain the focus on your customer and really make that in store experience good for your customer is really important. And, you know, just because we were talking about that, what I might say to you is that this is another level of how we have to rethink the physical space of the floor
1: okay? and
0: how we're going to use it. So we might need the floor to have areas where people can self-service shop like we're used to doing. And we might have areas where items are showroomed, meaning that, for example, it, we would see a sample of it on the floor. But we would then be able to go into the back room and we would be directed where to pick up that boxed item. I see. You know, that might be a way to try and think about how we would do it, but there are a lot of ideas out there about how we're going to have to change that sales floor itself to accommodate the customer and all these multiple experiences.
1: Very interesting. Let me just follow up on that. When you talk about logistics and how important it is and will become, and then you even tie that in with job opportunities, career opportunities, what kind of a background does somebody who, say, left the restaurant business to come back to that and wants to get involved in a new career, what kind of background does one need to have in order to get into it? Do you just jump into logistics or do you have to get a degree in logistics?
0: Well, so, you know, logistics, there's all kinds of things that happen in terms of logistics, right? First of all, let's just think about, and this is a great job for anybody who would want to do it. I have friends and I have had a number of students in my life who have worked for UPS or FedEx as delivery drivers. But there's also a whole team of people who are there in the morning, early morning, who pack the trucks. So I know a number of students who put themselves through college by working the 4 a.m. to 7 a.m. shift at UPS packing trucks and had their education paid for them by UPS. Now, I'm not sure if UPS still offers full board, but they probably offer something. So, you know, once you understand the system within logistics, once you're working in a warehouse, you have the opportunity to step up to become a supervisor. There's a whole customer service on the phone kind of area. You don't necessarily need to have a college education or even a high school education to do any of those things. You have to be able to do some basic stuff at those levels in order to get in. But they are good jobs. They're with good companies. They have benefits and they're a place to start. And of course, if you excel at those things, and if you're with a company that is, I mean, you know, you'd want to look for a company that would be willing to give you opportunities, then you know, you have the opportunity for a long-time career there if that's what you would like. And I have to say, in today's world, we estimate that young people today will have a minimum of like seven to nine careers before they're done. So, in today's world, if you were to to start with UPS and work your way up in UPS, that would be a pretty strange thing.
1: Yeah. The other follow up question, Anne, if you could just say something about the global nature. The jobs that you talked about, at least some of them, logistics was one I really took note of, marketing and communications and advertising and promotion and all that stuff. You see these as global in scope? Oh, yeah,
0: absolutely. Because, I mean, the supply chain is global. Yeah. And it's not going to stop being ever. So we can talk about bringing it back to the United States. It's way too expensive. It's not going to happen. We're going to be bringing stuff Stuff is going to go around the globe a billion times forever. So logistics, and this is what I also think is really interesting. Logistics is a good example because, and so is marketing. But logistics is particularly interesting because, you know, you could start your career in the United States and move your career to China and, you know, possibly head on over to Europe. I mean, it depends where you want to be. These are all things where you could physically go to different places. And the jobs are everywhere. And the other thing is, so in marketing and advertising and all of those things are global anyway. Those Mm -hmm. jobs are global and they are, all of that's been going on during the pandemic and it's been going on for decades. I've had international clients for years and people who are like me in another part of the world have had international clients for years. So that's something that the internet really opened up and made very easy because a lot of the marketing kind of things can happen through the internet and have always happened digitally since we've had the capability of it.
1: Absolutely. And it's great to hear about those opportunities and global scope of them. I want to ask you one other thing here before we shift gears a little bit. Several years now, you know this better than I know it. We've been hearing predictions that brick and mortar stores, because of the internet, they're not going to survive. Malls, there aren't a lot of new malls opening up, at least here in the United States, that that's peaked and it's on its way out. What do you think about all that as you look into the future?
0: Okay, brick and mortar is not dead and brick and mortar will never die.
1: (laughs) Okay.
0: Here's why retail is the last bastion of free entertainment in the world. (laughs) You can walk into any store and browse without having to buy. You can people watch without having to buy. You can have a conversation with the shopkeeper without having to buy. So first of all and foremost, it's never going away because of that. Secondly, I told you the store has to morph and change. So that brick and mortar is going to have to change to accommodate certain things, but change it will. And one of the things that's really great about independent retailers and entrepreneurs in general is that even though they may not know everything, they absolutely work at it and make it work. So they will find ways for their brick and mortar to stay open. Now, malls, I think, are a little bit different because malls are super large monstrosities and we have to travel to them so i do think in some areas malls are not going to be the way to go but i'd be willing to venture to guess that like for example in canada you're never going to lose a mall because who wants to be out shopping on a main street in sub-zero weather yeah just saying <laughs> you yeah. know, so some of these things, like, you know, I don't think the malls in the Northeast or the North of the United States are definitely going to die. Some may need to be smaller, may have to have mixed use because of the people and population around them. And, you know, again, on the flip side, let me also just say that I'm pretty sure that when it's, I don't know, 115 degrees in Arizona, you don't want to be shopping outside. Sure. Just a guess. So the malls are a little bit different, but I think that because a mall is an entity that is owned by a company, it is a little bit different than an individual store because what has to be decided about the mall is a bigger, it's a system within itself. So it has to have a number of things going for it to make it efficient and viable.
1: Good points. And I just wanted to add to that, you reminded me of something. The really successful stores are those that do give you an experience that is entertaining and enjoyable. And I'm thinking, and there are many, I'm thinking of Trader Joe's. Here in the United States, Trader Joe's has made shopping very pleasurable for people. And then you have the free taste of the food and all this stuff. So you're absolutely correct about that. And one of the things that we like to do here on Looking Forward is tap into the knowledge of our experts. And you're an expert on retail. I'm wondering if you would share a few tips with our listeners on how they can become savvier retail shoppers.
0: Okay. So here I'm going to put my specialty of visual merchandising forward for just a minute, Jeff, because... We didn't talk a whole lot about it today, and that's fine. But these are things that I think are really good things to know. So most people, when we walk into a store, we're going to turn right. So immediately tip number one is to make sure that you do not leave the store without having looked at what is immediately to the left of when you walk in. (laughs) Your whole body's going to want you to go right and it's going to take you on a path that will probably lead you to the cash register before you've seen that corner. So I'm going to tell you to go look at that corner because very often there's something quite interesting in that corner you might like to purchase. So that's the first thing. (laughs) The second one is that when we turn right, we don't actually do a full 90 degree turn. We do a 45 degree turn. So what that means is whatever you see in your sight line at that 45 degree angle is generally what that store has as best sellers. Mm. So if you're a repeat customer, that might be a good place for you to go because you'll see what's new and fresh in the best seller world. If you've never been to that store before, you'll be able to see what their best sellers are and that will give you an idea of sort of the lay of the land of the store, what they would have that you might like. Now, if you're looking for a deal in a store, most of the time this will be in the back. The idea here is that we are Americans, we love a deal. So most retailers will put the sales items, the clearance items in the back. And that means that we have to walk all the way to the back. So we get to see all the merchandise on the way back. And then we have to turn around and come back the other direction. So we see more merchandise on the way back. (laughs) That's why it's back there. But go ahead and go to the clearance. Now, we also often in a retail store, we'll see in-store display. This could be on a table that might be in the middle of an aisle. If you're a target person, you know that if you're looking for deals, you always shop the end caps of the gondolas in the store, right? Okay. So on these in-store displays, you will generally see one of three types of things. One is you're going to see a promotional item. So an example of this in an apparel store might be two t-shirts for $30, but individually they're $19 each, right? Okay. Okay, so that's a promo. That means the buyer bought these items with the idea of creating a promotion in mind. The second thing that you might see is a new trend or hot item in the category. So that's something else that they'd like to pull out and the third could also be a specific bestseller, right? So you might pull out another bestseller. So that's an important one. So the other thing to think about is, is that if you're looking for impulse items, they will generally be by the cash wrap, And that's a good place to get low cost, interesting, sort of fun items that that store would have.
1: Those are terrific tips that so many of us probably didn't even think about. I mean, who thinks about when I walk in a store, I'm probably turning to the right or going on a 45 degree. I mean, I don't even think of these things, but I will be thinking about it now. (laughs) So thanks for giving those tips to us, Anne. At this point, I'd like you to tell our listeners how they can find out more about you, Ono Made in the 191. The VM Club, which is your virtual merchandising work. And anything else you would like them to know about you, Anne?
0: Okay, well, thank you so much. It has been my pleasure to talk with you all today. And I have a consultancy, as Jeff and I mentioned throughout. I am specifically working with independent retailers. And my specialty is really visual merchandising. And just to make sure everybody understands, I'll give you briefly what the visual merchandising is. Because most people think it's just doing store windows. Visual merchandising is about how we lay out our store, how we place our merchandise on that selling floor in such a way that it encourages our customers to purchase products. And it's really important because the sales floor, when you think about it, is where the store owner is getting their return on investment and the customer is getting the product that they want. So this whole understanding about how we arrange the store and the devices we use to help guide the customer through the store to build a sale is a big part of visual merchandising. And the second huge part is visual display. And this is what excites the customer when they come in visually and stimulates them to touch, smell, et cetera, pick things up and then buy. So it is something that is very, very hard, as I said in the beginning, for independent retailers in particular to become educated on. And that is because it's generally not out there as something that's given as an adult education kind of class. So in order to facilitate that, I have a number of ways that I can work with you from my consultancy. But I also have an online coaching program called the VM Club. So that is a place where people who are independent retailers or, well, any retailer really, or anybody who's just interested can come and get a weekly coaching video and access to a number of other tools tips. I also have an a live Instagram show, Tuesdays, noon Eastern in the United States, that is at VM Club, all one word, dot ono, O-N-O. So vmclub.ono, and that's Tuesdays at noon, Eastern every week. And I talk for about mm, sometimes short, five, six minutes. Sometimes I blather on a little bit, (laughs) depending on what the topic is, live, and I will take questions and answers. I also post those live recordings on Instagram TV. So you can go to my Instagram, vmclub.ono, and see those for free.
1: Well, this is terrific, Anne, and one of the things that you spoke about fits in perfectly well with what you just said, and that is because so much is accessible to us now globally, and this is a globally focused podcast, people who are listening, who are involved in retail all over the world, as long as they have access to the internet, can benefit from your services And you've got a number of ways that they can now. It's no longer just about those in Philadelphia want to get in touch with Ann. It's anybody all over the world. And that's great because you have so much to share that would be of value to people, no matter where they live, who are involved in a retail business. So thank you so much for being on the show the second time. We look forward to maybe bringing you back again sometime. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. You're welcome. Bye-bye, everybody. This concludes part two of our two part series on global retail trends, opportunities, and the future, and how you might capitalize on those with our guest expert, Ann Cecil. If you have any questions you'd like to ask Ann or me, please contact me at my website, www.jeff ostroff.com. And if you like this episode, I'd really appreciate your liking it or giving it a positive review on the podcast hosting site where you listen to it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-O-S-T-R-O-F-F. Com. This is Jeff Ostroff, inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.